Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Small decisions that we make every day add up into bigger results. In this message, Pastor Andy will teach us how to surrender control and live in the freedom that God provides. Enjoy the message. We are in a brand new series called Habits. And this is a series that is not about what you might think it's about. Uh, you might, If you go to the self-help book section in the bookstore, if you were to hear maybe... Um, Maybe somebody else talk about this. It's normally going to go towards what is the best version of you? You know, or well, in this new year, what are some new habits where it's new year and new you? We're not going there, all right? Uh, it, it's overrated, right? It, it, the best version of me, I don't want to know what the best version of me because it still falls really short. So when we talk about habits, what are habits that can actually position you to where you can live eternally right now? How's that sound, right? And so today we're going to talk about how to give up control. In the weeks following, we're going to talk about how to resist temptation. Uh, We're we're going to talk about how to live the spirit-filled life, how to keep it consistent, and how to not give up. And so let's talk about, let's get it kicked right off with control. How many of you love to be in control, all right? Let's, oh, we have some recovering control addicts in here, and we have some people that don't want to admit it because they want to feel like they're in control. We're all recovering control addicts. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a recovering control addict, all right? Just go ahead and say it. The other person can be like, I already knew it, all right? Maybe you want to always be driving. Maybe you always want to, want to you know, have control of whatever's going on. And, and we don't like the loss of control. Uh, One of the ways that I can demonstrate this is that I have a slight tinge of claustrophobia, a slight tinge of claustrophobia. This is the fear of confined places. So if you want to go to a cave where I have to crawl around on my stomach, eh, wrong, not happening, all right? Uh, If you want to go splunking, eh, wrong, not happening. And if you want to just have me lay down in a casket, eh, wrong, not going to do that while I'm alive, all right? You're like, casket, why'd you go there? Because it happened to me once, all right? When I was in middle school, one of my neighbors, they decided to deck the halls by making their, you know, their front yard look like a mortuary, so they had a casket out front. And of course, I was with my buddies, and the the neighbor said, hey, Andy, would you like to lay down in the casket? I'm like, I didn't really want to, but I was with my buddies, and they're like, do it, do it, right? And when you hear the word do it, you know, it is, it's hard to resist, Okay. And so I'm like, all right, fine, I'll lay in the casket. So I went into the casket. I didn't think they were going to close the doors, but the neighbor closed the doors on me, locked the casket, and I have the tinge of claustrophobia, and I began to freak out. I was like, this is not my law in life. I'm not going to die in a casket. May I be dead first, then you can put me in the casket, right? And I freaked out. And when you have claustrophobia, for some of you, you turn into like Superman, all right? You get the adrenaline going. And somehow, when I was inside that casket, my feet had enough room to move where I kicked the door and it literally came off its hinge. And literally, in that moment, it looked like I just popped out from the dead, all right? But it wasn't. I was panicked. Why? Because I didn't like feeling out of control. This morning, where do you feel like you're out of control and it feels like you're inside a casket? 
Maybe it's your relationships in your life. Maybe it's your money is out of control. Your bills are out of control. Uh, maybe it's, it's uh, you know, the degrees that you're trying to uh, get in college and it just seems like your work is piling on top of each other. Uh, maybe it's your job and it just feels like it's dead end or maybe you have, you have, you're going after boss after boss after boss is over you and it's just not getting any better. Maybe it's your anxiety and you don't even know where it's coming from. And in that moment of that panic attack, you're like, I just want to feel like I'm in control. And maybe it's influence. Maybe it's the way that people look at you. Where do you feel out of control this morning? And you know, ironically, it's when we feel out of control, we double down and try to control it even more. Why is it that we feel like we need to be in control? Well, studies have shown that we like to feel uh, the control because we believe that if we feel like we are, we are in control, the desired result that we want will follow. But the problem is this. There's a lot of things that we try to control we can't control. And the problem is this, is that people that want full control, they often want, in, at least in this society, the control without the responsibility. You want to be the vice president without first working in the stock room. You want, to, you, you want a following without going through the trenches. You want to be an expert without life experience. You want to be the doctor without going to med school. You want to be able to give people all this advice without knowing exactly what you're talking about. You want to be a theologian without actually reading the Bible. You want to eat, drink, and do whatever you want and go to your physical, and the doctor says, keep it up. Right? We want control. We want our cake before the meal. We want to be the boss, and nobody should be able to tell us what to do. We want control, and we try to control. And what we try to control, we will devote ourselves to, because if we devote ourselves to that thing of which we want to control, we think in the end that the pot of gold is fulfillment. In fact, it really looks like this. You have control, whatever you try to control, you then become devoted to, and whatever you're devoted to, you're hoping that you'll be fulfilled with. For example, if you want to control comfort, you'll devote yourself to that thing that gives you happiness and hopes to be fulfilled. If you feel anxious, you'll devote yourself to whatever that thing is that you think is making you anxious. If you're insecure, you'll devote, your, you'll devote yourself to that feeling of not making you feel insecure. So whatever your insecurities are, you'll double down on what makes you feel secure. Uh, if you want to be fulfilled with your health, you'll double down and you'll do whatever it is that maybe you hope that makes you live longer. And uh, if you uh, want uh, friends, or whatever it is, you'll devote yourself to that, but it's often what you devote yourself to you become enslaved with. Problem is, is many of us are devoted to the wrong things, things that won't satisfy. People are trying to control and devote themselves to so many things in hopes to be satisfied and fulfilled. And as a result, people are taking drugs or injecting themselves or they're pursuing relationships or they are having no boundaries with sexuality. Uh, it, people are connected in more ways, whether it be through TikTok, Instagram, or buying and shopping and receiving at will. You see, we live in a life where we see something, we want something, where we receive that something. And yet, with all the options, with all the limitless, boundaryless life that is presented to us, we are living in a society that is disconnected, human flourishing is going down the tubes and mental illness is raising up even though we want to normalize it. And as a result, we blame is shifted. Psychological terms are invented in order to show that even if we're feeling out of control, it's somebody else's fault that we're out of control. How did we get here? How do we move forward in a society where we are just dying for control, but we're dying in the pursuit of that control. How do we devote ourselves to the right things? 
And luckily, Jesus has the answer. Amen? Jesus gives us a clear teaching on how to, to be devoted and live a fulfilled life. But it might not be what you're thinking. Let's turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, it's one of the four books of the Bible that, that uh, describe the life of Jesus, uh, the mission of Jesus. Uh, Mark, whose full name is John Mark, is thought to have owned uh, the home where Jesus and the disciples uh, had the Last Supper. Mark was closely associated with the Apostle Peter. And Mark was also uh, the first gospel uh, written, which means that Matthew and, and Luke and maybe even John would have been aware of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Here's Jesus' answer to what we should be devoted to and how to be fulfilled. You ready? Mark eight thirty-five. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. As human beings, we are looking to preserve life. But Jesus is making clear, the only way to preserve your life is to lose it, is to lose it, is to lose it in a way of surrender, surrendering not part of your life, not surrendering what you want to surrender in your life, but a full surrender to the lordship that is the leadership of Jesus Christ. God invites us to give up control and thus become fully devoted. Here's our main idea this morning. A devoted life is a surrendered life. A devoted life is a surrendered life. At Kenosha City Church, our mission statement is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. But to be fully devoted isn't just to memorize the mission statement. Uh, To be fully devoted isn't just to be aware of the mission statement. To be fully devoted is this, actually devoting your entire life to Jesus. A devoted life is a surrendered life. We're going to look at three things. If we're going to give up control this morning, we need to be devoted to a surrendered life. But we're going to look at the problem. Why? Why don't we give up control? The problem. We're going to look at the prescription of what we need to do. And finally, we're going to pre-decide, we're going to predetermine what we're going to do leaving this place this morning. So let's take a look at number one, the problem. The problem is this. We look to ourselves for answers to our fulfillment. The problem, we look to ourselves for answers to our fulfillment. Why is that? It is because we are naturally self-seeking. We are naturally self-centered people. In the last couple years, many of you have been on a Zoom call, right? I would just like to see this. This is just for kicks and giggles, all right? Uh, Raise your hand if you've never been on Zoom or any any video chat device in the last two years, right? And that's just about a nobody, all right? Okay, maybe one, all right? So there you are, all right? Studies have shown when you've been on Zoom in the last couple years, whether it be for your work, whether it be a, a family Zoom call meeting or, or, or church-related, whatever it is, studies have shown that when you're on Zoom 
and you have like seven or eight speakers, right? You know, they're lining up your, 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 your screen or you have the speaker mode where they show up on the screen. No matter where you are placed, you don't look at the speaker. You look at yourself. Studies show that you, the majority of your Zoom time is watching how you talk, watching how you look, watching how you react towards others. You may as well just shut your whole monitor off because you're looking at yourself. Why is that? It's because we when we're looking at ourselves in the mirror or on the screen, uh, we want to make sure we're controlling our emotions. We want to make sure we're looking right. We want to make sure we're, we're presentable, even when we're not speaking. As a result, uh, researchers realized this. They wrote a couple articles, and uh, a couple people were like, well, we know how to make some money. Let's put a seminar out there where people can buy the seminar where we can teach them how to make eye contact better on Zoom. And people bought into it thing is this why is it no matter if it's a zoom call or if it's a picture or or anywhere where we can see our reflection why is it we're drawn to that it's because we're naturally self-seekers we're naturally self-centered people Uh, and the key to this is that if we're naturally self-centered people the, the key to getting over that is being aware of that number one but number two shifting the focus from ourselves to something else and this morning that focus must go to the lord god almighty We try to find our own answers because we're self-seekers. We try to prove ourselves because we're self-seekers. We try to find our true selves because we're self-seekers. I mean, that is the MO today. Be yourself. Find your true self. Don't deny yourself. The problem is, these aren't the Lord's words. The problem is, God did not make you to be self-seekers. He did not make you to be the center of your own universe. He made you to reflect his goodness. He made you to seek him. He made you to, to view and look towards him. We see this in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. I can imagine. Jesus is gathering people around. He has his main 12 disciples, and he's like, hey, you know, just, hey, I'm going to say something. And, and, and what we see in Scripture is that I imagine the tradespeople and, and people that are in the streets, they, a, a crowd gathered. And, and I imagine the buzz was, hey, Jesus is going to explain. And all his teachings we've heard, he's going to explain today how to have a fulfilled life. He's going to explain today how to be a good follower. you, you got to hear this. Oh, yes, I can't wait. People are leaning in. Huh? What do, you, what do you mean I got to give up my life? I want a fulfilled life. I don't want to give up my you don't. You're not making any sense, Jesus. But Jesus was saying whoever lives a self-centered life and focuses on this present world will miss the joy of the inheritance of eternal life in Jesus. You can have it all on this earth and we are being advertised every day to have it all, take it all, get it now. But listen, if you live for those things, it's going to cost you everything. Make no mistake, salvation is not by works. Salvation isn't by your piety. Salvation isn't by how long and eloquent your prayers are. Amen, right? Uh, you, you know, Salvation isn't by how super spiritual you are. It's not by works at all. It's by grace and faith alone. No works will get you to Christ. But the problem is today, people think they can game God with that. Oh, really? All right, yeah, Jesus, I'll I'll get it. Yep, Mm mm-hmm, right? 
Uh, I want your salvation. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You don't even think he's aware of that, right? If you are, if your heart really is given over to Christ, you know what ends up happening? Your life begins to change afterward, right? This is why it's not about works. You can't work your way to God thinking he's going to be pleased and thinking he's going to be impressed, right? It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ did all of the work. And when we place our faith and trust in him, it changes our heart. We're like, you know what, God? I want to serve you with my whole life. There's a big difference. Don't flip the equation the wrong way. But today, many people treat Jesus like a transaction more than a commitment. And as a result... Many people who claim Christ today live a life of open disobedience that resembles very little of a biblical Jesus. Or worse yet, there are people today, and, I, and I, my prayer is not here, but you can correct this today. But my, my fear is there are so many people that have a false assurance. They, they believe that they are good with God when they're not. One of the most frightening verses in all of Scripture is when there was obviously, there was this guy, he prophesied, uh, he taught he was well known in the community, and yet he did not inherit eternal life, and he was shocked. Christ died to pay off your sin debt in full, uh, not deferred, not maybe. He died on the cross canceling your sin debt, the sin debt that separates you from Almighty God. Christ died to make you free. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are debt Free, you can sing it, right? You can call up Dave Ramsey and say, I'm dead free, right? Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the, the, certificate, the certificate of death was ripped into two. You are debt free, never to occur debt again. But here's the deal. For many... You live life like there's no tomorrow because you're living as if this life is all you got. You live your life like there's nothing after this life. And when we do that, we ignore the great event that will happen to every single one of us. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to deal with it. And yes, we, we like to not admit we get older. What I'm talking about is our death. Yes, our death. We don't like to talk about it, but yet it's the great equalizer, isn't it? Unless Jesus Christ comes back in our lifetime, we will all meet that, and we will all stand before the Lord God Almighty. But Jesus came to save your life, and he warns us in verse 36, for what does it benefit for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? What Jesus is saying is, we are much more than our biological bodies. Now we're told in scripture that we're to honor God with our bodies. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when our bodies die, our souls live on. We have a soul. Our soul is our being. It is what... It is what uh, it's the immaterial self that's inside of this body. And it lives on, and it will stand before the Lord God Almighty to give an account. And Jesus hits us point blank. What benefit is it if you can have whatever you want in this 80 plus years, 90 plus years of life, and yet lose your soul that's forever 
We diminish the value of the soul in society. What Jesus is asking is, what can anyone give in exchange for your life, for your soul? And the answer is nothing. There's nothing, nothing more valuable than your soul made right with God. And there's a warning for us today. Not only is Jesus talking to this crowd, he's talking to us. That's why it's in scripture. But I find it very interesting in the Apostle Paul's last letter before he's executed that he speaks of something that's going to happen in the last days. Now, if you were with us in the Revelation series, I believe we're in that. Okay? I could be wrong in the timeline or when Christ will come back. But we are getting closer. We're marching closer to Christ's second coming. And so listen to this. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I've read this before, but it is resonating with me so much because we see it in the everyday. But know this. Hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self. Now just think about this with what Jesus just said. You want to find life, you got to lose it. But this is what's happening in the last days. People are going to cling to their earthly life. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and holding to a form of godliness. Can you believe that? People are going to walk around being holier than thou, self-righteous. They might even put out a worship album, all right? And they're this. In the last days, it says avoid these people. In the last days, people will become lovers of themselves as opposed to lovers of God. Oh, they may love God, but that's not what God wants. God wants the the supreme love to be towards him. People will do things in the name of the Lord. They'll do things in the name of unity, in the name of the gospel. But it'll be more man-centered and about the people in the room rather than the people in the room giving glory to God. There's a big difference. We, we can do things of God and be more enamored about the people in the room than the God who's supposed to be everything about. It's all about Jesus, amen? Our community must flow through that. If the community doesn't flow through a love of God, I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna be a backward, rebellious, self-centered, self-serving, consumeristic community. And may we never become that. And yet, that's what we see in the last days. As a result, a self-centered Christianity emerges. People will fall in love with their stuff. They'll evangelize themselves. Look how great I am, right? Look what I'm doing, right? Uh, They will be unloving. They will be irreconcilable. They will slander each other. There'll be no self-control. They will trade and stab each other in the back. And yet, they'll love the pleasure of doing it all. And they'll look super spiritual in the end. That is not what it looks like when Jesus says, if you want life, you must lose it. You must lose it. A devoted life is a surrendered life. But the problem is, we often look to ourselves for fulfillment. Would it be earthly fulfillment? Or we look to ourselves to become super spiritual. None of that. So here's the prescription. You ready for this? The prescription is this. Choosing the will of God over our own will. Choosing the will of God over our own will. Matthew chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, 
I have a vague memory. And as I was actually writing this, it all started flooding back. And it's amazing, like, the, the emotions you can feel when you're, like, seven years old, right? Uh, but I, I was seven or eight, and I was invited to this birthday party to a, a kid down the street. And uh, um, I was super excited uh, to go because I didn't normally run in these circles. Uh, but as I arrived at the party, things seemed fine for a seven or eight-year-old. Then all of a sudden, people from outside my neighborhood started showing up, right? And they were way cooler than me, right? I mean, at the time, was, I think it was like Gatano clothes. Does anybody remember those, right? It was like, oh, that was the cool clothes. They're out of business now because it's not cool anymore. But anyway, they wore those. They, 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 had the, they had the lingo, whatever it was. I think they said rad a little bit more than I did. I, it was the mid-'80s, okay? And at one point, I realized in my seven-year-old brain, I was invited, but I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Because even the host of the party at one point stopped talking to me during that party. It was a weird thing. You've probably been in that, in, in that place, uh, in a circle of friends maybe. Maybe you've been at a party. Maybe you showed up at a place you thought you were invited to and you weren't. And you feel that shame. You feel that shame. You feel that awkwardness. Well, we're told here, for whoever's ashamed of me, this is Jesus speaking, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. To be ashamed of Jesus means to be proud of other things more than him. Or that you want nothing to do with him if certain people find out. Oh, yes, conveniently, I'm like, yes, I'm a Christian, but you get to school, or you get to your workplace, you get in certain groups of friends, and shh, don't talk about that right now. Why are, you, why are you talking that way in front of that circle? Shh, don't worry about it. I don't want them to know. I'm, I, I, I go to Kenosha City Church. Why? Because if they find out I'm a Jesus freak, then I might get kicked out of this circle of friends or I might not get the promotion at work. To be ashamed of Jesus is to uninvite him into areas of your life and to avoid sharing him and inviting others to church. Church, let's be honest. We all struggle with what people think of us, all right? But here's the deal. I want us to struggle. Are we giving enough fame to the one who redeemed us? Amen? And when you are struggle with that, you realize you don't need to please people. All right? May God crush us with the need of trying to please people. He's crushed that in me. I hope it never returns. And I know it probably will try to return. Why? Because we're self-centered, self-seeking people by nature. But Thanks be the Lord. Thanks be God, Lord God Almighty, who can redeem us from our natural inclinations to give us a spirit-filled declaration, spirit-filled step-by-step life that we can be not ashamed of Jesus, but we can lovingly and relentlessly share it with our friends and family. Choosing the will of God over our own. If we're gonna choose the will of God over our own, if we're not gonna be ashamed of him, it requires this conviction Conviction that must precede your action. Uh, conviction that must precede your action. A great example of conviction preceding our action in the scriptures, I think of Daniel. The prophet Daniel, if you are not aware of Daniel, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, he, he, was, uh, he would prophesy different things to different kings during the Israel exile and Babylon and other uh, empires after. Uh, he was well sought out. He had a lot of honor, even though uh, a lot of the people that he served were not God-fearers. He was. And so Daniel, through his repeated faithfulness to the Lord, among people that held different beliefs, 
and who are willing to persecute you for your beliefs in God, Daniel stood tall. In the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel, we see the Babylonian Empire fall. Now, the Babylonian Empire, they're the empire that, that took Israel into exile. But now they fell. They fell to the hands of the Persians, which is the modern-day Iran. And we see the ushering in of King Darius the Mede. Uh, some theologians believe it's, he's Cyrus himself. Others believe that he's a close associate with Cyrus. That's my view, uh, that he's a close associate with uh, King Cyrus, the famous Darius had no care for the belief of any Jewish person or freedom of religion. But yet Daniel served the Babylon kingdom faithfully, and now the new Persian Empire, they recognized his faithfulness and brought him on into their administration too. In fact, they trusted Daniel so much that they made him one of three presidents over 120 governors over the Persian Empire. That's a, that's, that's a big place. He was in basically a line of secession to the, to the crowd. And so Daniel had a high up, very honored, very well-known name in the Persian Empire, but this was all going to be challenged. Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, verse 6. So the administrators and stirrups went together to the king and said, now the administrators and stirrups, these are the governors, okay? So these are people that are underneath Daniel, all right? If there's an org chart, Daniel's here, these guys down here. So the administrators and stirrups went together to the king and said to him, may King Darius live forever, and all the administrators of the kingdom, the, the, the perfects, the stirrups, the advisors, the governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and you enforce the edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty established the edict and signed the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. This was nothing short of a mutiny to Daniel. The people underneath him were rebelling. They didn't go to Daniel and say, hey, what do you think of this edict? Daniel would have shot it down completely. Like, no way, I, I'm gonna continue to pray and worship uh, the Lord God Almighty. But they went around Daniel straight to the king. That's a mutiny, all right? And they went to the king Darius and they said, hey, you need to ban the freedom of religion. And Darius was thinking, hmm, yeah, if everybody prays to me, Darius is saying, I think politically this would unite everybody. And so Darius, I believe, was looking at this at a, as a political solution, not a religious prohibition. Uh, he was looking at this could really solidify uh, the, the Persian Empire. And so the edict was going to hit Daniel's belief and walk with God head on. Daniel was well-liked, well-known, looked up to, but this was all about to change. And he had a decision his fame or his faith. Ooh, that is something that's gonna face us day by day. Our fame or our faith. What would you do in this situation if you knew that you could no longer talk about Jesus? Now, in America, we typically we don't see uh, physical harm or physical death uh, for your beliefs. Usually it is a social death, a social murder. And what we see here is that often it could be in your workplace, it could be school. So what would you do if you were told that you could no longer pray personally at work? What would you do if you would get fired if you invited someone from church from work? Or, or, or you would be kicked out of school uh, for inviting someone in your class? 
What would you do if, you, if your faith uh, prevented you from getting a promotion because of the ethics? Uh, what if your family or friends uninvited you from the gatherings knowing that you were a Christian? What if you were asked to espouse an ideology that flies in the face of Scripture, whether it be marriage, gender, the sanctity of your life, drugs, or the gospel itself? Will you stand firm or will you wobble? We say, you know, I want a little bit of Jesus here, but I want a little bit, a little bit of this over here, right? If you don't have conviction and decide beforehand how you will stand, you will collapse and compromise. Just think of this. When you're in high school and someone says, hey, you going to the party? Man, I was invited to that party. You know what's going to be at that party, right? You, you, know, you, know what's, you know the influence and the pressure that you are going to feel. I remember there was this person in my youth group, and they were well looked up to in the youth group, and they declared at a winter retreat, just like one that we have this weekend, they said, I don't believe in peer pressure. I said, okay, what, what do you mean by that? I can go to the parties, I can hang out with whoever I want to hang out with, and I won't succumb to it. One year later in tears, they were saying, I fell. I got in that environment, I, I, I succumbed to the temptations, and they were dang near an addict one year later. Why is that? It's because we have to pre-decide right now. We have to predetermine: are we going to stand for the things of Christ? Because when you're challenged, when the pressure hits, when ideologies hit you, and it could hit you in your pocketbook, it could hit you in your influence, it could hit you anywhere, how are you going to stand? Because in those moments, what's in your heart will come to the surface. Daniel had the conviction before these situations would challenge his faith. And he proclaimed what was in his heart. Look at this, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house and he contemplated, well, should I uh, stay famous? No, that's not what he said. He knew that the document was signed the windows in the upstairs room were opened. He didn't close them. And three times a day, he got down on his knees, he prayed, and he gave thanks to his God just as he'd done before. He knew what he was going to do when he was faced with these situations, and he said, let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to pray. They're going to hear me in the streets. And let, the, let whatever happens, happens. Verse 11, then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked him about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown in the lion's den? And the king answered, as the law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Daniel knew that his worship to the Lord God Almighty would not result just in hardship. It would result maybe in his death. But the words that were in his heart came richly to the surface and he worshiped the Lord God Almighty no matter the consequence. Now some of you are like, why wouldn't Darius just revoke the, the order? And Darius, again, the reason why he even signed the order is that he wanted greater influence and for him to go back in that order, he would lose face, he would lose clout. But Daniel had the conviction that God was worth even death. We have brothers and sisters around the world today that are worshiping right now, that are facing death just by attending church. He had the conviction, Daniel did, that God was worth even death. 
But he also realized that if he was facing death, God could rescue him from the hardest and darkest situations. When everyone else is taking easy street, when everyone else was praising Darius, Daniel was on his knees praising God. Today, many people are departing from their faith because it's not grounded in biblical truth. People are trying to feel their way to God without having biblical truth as their foundation, and it's ending in disaster. Too many people are, are, are basing their faithfulness and how they treat each other more on subjective feelings than the biblical fact of which our feelings should flow. You need a quality of faith, grace plus faith plus nothing, that grows through biblical knowledge and living out through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we need, but too often we just get up and say, what do I feel like today? Am I going to follow God? Am I going to go to church? Am I going to pray today? How am I going to treat this person that is really hard to be nice to? You see, here's the problem. That our faith isn't properly grounded. It will wobble and it could collapse. We will definitely compromise. And the reason for that is some of us today struggle with a sentimental faith. A sentimental faith is, I heard it put this way, sentimentality is one of the greatest enemies of the Christian faith. Sentimentality finds comfort in the predictable. Its end goal is to feel good. It's, it's, it's a faith that is like the, the Monopoly card, you know, the get out of jail free. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll receive Jesus. I want to get out of hell free, right? It's one that isn't intent on growing. It just wants to feel good. Oh, I like that song. Oh, yes, death was arrested. Goosebumps, right? Oh, Andy, oh, Andy you're, you're, you're too intense for me today. I want you to make me feel good, right? All right, fine. God is love. Right? No, I mean, that, that's what sentimentality is, is that when we're sentimental about the faith, it's all about how we feel. And when conviction hits our heart, we're like, I don't want any of that. I just want to feel good. I want to feel comfortable. This is a person that's more interested in getting the goosebumps and feeling good, but their faith is shallow and not firmly rooted. This is the type of faith that Jesus warned that when persecution comes, you will fall away. Ooh. That just is a gut punch even reading that. We don't want a sentimental faith. We want a faith that's grounded in grace plus faith, that's empowered by the Holy Spirit for us to be able to be obedient in the things he's wanting us to be obedient to. Sentimental faith. The other faith that's dangerous is inherited faith. This is if you're here today and you're like, well, I'm saved because I was born into a Christian family. Or I'm saved because my grandma. Or, and I, I mentioned this last week when I came into Kenosha, the, I was just shocked. That's what most people's faith is running into. Well, you know, I'm third generation. Where's your faith? Inherited faith is nominal. No display of active faith. Faith is, that is inherited. It hasn't been received. If you want to inherit eternal life, you must receive personally what Jesus Christ did for you. And finally, I mean, I could go on, but the other dangerous faith I see is the super spiritual one. Scripture would call us a Pharisee or Sadducee. We, and again, we all have a tendency to want to show off what we're doing. Don't fall into this, but the super spiritual is the modern day Pharisee. It's all outward show. Maybe you think you're faithful because you know the word of God better than everybody else. Listen, knowing the word of God is very important, but it doesn't make you important. It's us recognizing that God is important. You know the word of God, but there's little application. Or maybe you act as if you have some kind of corner of the market of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit's important. 
We, don't, we need not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. But make no mistake, when the Holy Spirit moves through you, you aren't doing something special. It's the Holy Spirit doing something special. We want less human, right, and more God. But somehow, when you think you have the corner mark in the Holy Spirit, you feel like you have some heavenly endowment on wisdom. You receive words like you have a hotline to God. You speak in a super spiritual voice. Like, listen to me. Like, you've heard this before, right? People get up and they kind of get, no, they get a microphone and like something happens when you hold on to the microphone. It's like, I must now talk in my spiritual voice and now I have a red line to God. Like, stop that, all right? You speak in a spiritual voice to address others. You let others know how much more you hear from God and that they can't be challenged because they hear from God. But what happens is when the super spiritual hits a hard moment. I I knew somebody once that they were in this position and then someone spoke a word of the Lord over them saying, you're gonna take on nations. And then when life hit and they didn't take on nations, uh, they were like, where are you, God? And they went into an existential faith crisis. I once had someone give me a word of the Lord, and they said, Andy, you're going to be a surfer. And I said, what, spiritually? Am I going to ride the waves? No, in real life, you're going to be an amazing surfer. And I thought, bootleg, right? Bootleg word. I'm not a surfer. I've never even snow skied, all right? So, and I asked him, hey, what church do you go to? This person was so confident I was going to be a surfer. They said, I don't go to a church. I just go around and bless the church with my words. I'm like, stop it. When we act super spiritual, actually, I was, I was like, are you saying that, like, I'm called to California? And I was like, no. I was like, okay, all right. So anyway, I wouldn't do that anyway. But anyway, that was early, way, way earlier on. Uh, I absolutely love Kenosha, and I would never uh, even contemplate California. They can, they can do what they want over there. All right, so. <laughs> when we act super spiritual, it's so often we like to tell everyone how they should live without needing to address the change that is needed in our own heart. It's what Jesus warned, the speck in somebody else's eye when we don't have the self-awareness that we have a huge telephone pole in our eye. At Kenosha City Church, I want to just say this. If you are a super spiritual Pharisee, you're gonna struggle here. One of our core values is that we're not perfect people, we're people made new. Now, if you're a recovering Pharisee, I think we all are. If we're recovering super spiritual, want to prove ourselves, I think we all are. But if you're doubling down like, nope, I'm something special. I got a corner on the mark of the Lord. You're going to be frustrated here because that doesn't impress us. God impresses us. We want it, it, is, it is an audience of one King Jesus. This is for you, right? And so we embrace that we're not perfect people, but people made new. We're impressed by God and by his spirit. This is not some time to have a sideshow to show off and make ourselves look better. It's a time for God to show up and show off and show us his supernatural. Daniel's faith was not superficial. It had substance. It was not inherited. Uh, he, he was not uh, uh, super spiritual to prove himself, but rather he'd be willing to go to a lion's den for his faith. Daniel chapter 6, verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you continually serve rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signet rings of the nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. He didn't want Daniel to die, but he loved his fame more than Daniel, I guess. And no diversions were brought to him. He could not sleep. 
the lion's den. The Babylonians and the Assyrians, they often had pet lions, but they also used them uh, to execute criminals for entertainment. And the, uh, the Persians continued this practice. In fact, uh, this is called trial by ordeal. And although they don't use lions today, this same principle of killing a criminal in such a way, in such a horrific way, uh, even finds itself in modern day Iranian law. Daniel knew worshiping the one true God would end his life, but he chose what was better than life itself. It reminds me of what Paul said. He said this. He believed that what? To live is Christ, right? His life, but to die is gain. He knew that Jesus, following God, was greater than life itself. And he spoke what he believed, and he predetermined it by his conviction. You see, here's the deal. In the moment of hardship, you trust what you ultimately believe. You trust what you ultimately believe. We see this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. The, the king thought Daniel was dead. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the lion's mouth and they haven't harmed me for I was found innocent before him and also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. Wow. Daniel, who was willing to die for his faith, also had faith if God wanted him to live, he would shut the mouth of the lion and that's exactly what God did. Where in life right now are you facing where you want, if you're like, if I give him control in this area, I'm gonna face the lions of something. Where is it in your life where you are fearing whatever that is, when in reality you need to transfer your fear and have faith in God that he's able to carry you through that? Where is that? I love what Daniel thought. He's like, and even if he did die, your soul lives on forever. You want to live, you got to give up your life. You got to give up your will. Daniel knew this. Daniel knew that even if he were to die, even if his body were to decompose, his bones would cry out with the message. Hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands, we're even talking about it today, about the message, about the witness, about the message that cannot be killed even when you kill the messenger. Daniel knew this, and he was willing to go the distance. Daniel chapter 6, verse 23, the king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command for those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. And it goes on from there. It's a little, kind of gets R-rated, really, kind of graphic. But Darius was mad, all right? The Lord protected Daniel. And the secular king Darius, and notice he's secular, uh, he replaced Daniel in the den with those who had maliciously accused Daniel. What's interesting about the word malicious in the original language? That word malicious was usually used in the original language for when lions would rip you apart and devour you. So Daniel was devoured by the people and then thrown into the lion's den to be devoured. Do you understand this? 
When we maliciously accuse, when when we're malicious to each other, we are like lions that devour people. But I want you to know, when you have been, when someone's been malicious towards you, when they've ripped your, your flesh off your bones, what I want you to know is this, you have a Lord God Almighty who can rescue you. You have a Lord God Almighty who can heal you. You have a Lord God Almighty who can take you even in your limp and make you go the distance you couldn't do if you didn't have that limp. Give up control and give him control. A devoted life is a surrendered life. The prescription is choosing his will over our own. Daniel could have easily, easily denounced God, but because he didn't, God showed up. So, number three is this predetermine, predecide today, predetermine today what you're going to do. Mark chapter eight, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So choose today. Whom will you place your faith in? If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, choose today. Are you choosing Jesus? Are you placing your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you personally done this? If you haven't personally done this, listen, here's the deal. Nothing matters until you're made right with God. Choose today. Choose today whom you will serve with every area of your life. Where are you holding back? You know where you're holding back. Where are you not allowing the Lord to be the Lord of your life? His leadership, where where is it lacking? Choose today. Are you willing to give up things in this life in exchange for the joy of living eternally? Choose today. Choose today to to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit instead of your just fleshly talents. Choose today. Declare it. Live it today. Do not be ashamed of God, just like what we saw with Daniel, just like what Jesus is asking us. You want to live life? Lose it. But do not be ashamed. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Greek. Give up control. A devoted life is a surrendered life. And you have a mission. You have a mission to reach people who don't know Christ. Uh, you have an obligation uh, to, to, to do this as a follower of Christ, but it's not an obligation out of like ugh, duty. It should be our joy. It should be our joy to seed over every area of our life. And I want you to think of this this morning too. Where is there something good in your life that you've made into an idol? Last week we introduced who is your one? Who's your one? Who's that one person that you're going to pray for, that you're going to care for, uh, that you're going to share with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we have that slide? Uh, And so let's go ahead and take a look at this. So we have prayer, we have care, and we have share. And so who is your one? Think of that name in the center of that circle. Who's your one? Man, you're like, I have three, I have four, I have five. Who's your one? Begin to pray for them. Begin to care for them. Ministry occurs in the context of relationship, right? And share. Share the gospel. Share your life. Invite them. Who's your one? Who's your one? Devoted life is a surrendered life. Here's some devotional questions for this week. Where do you need to grow? Where do you need to grow? In your faith. For your faith to be challenged. Where do you distort your identity? Where do you feel insecure and you try to control? 
what is that area in life that you know is just out of control and you're not giving it to God? Where, where, where's that thing that you're just, man, if this thing doesn't happen, then I'm, I'm ruined. What is that? That's not, no, that's not, that's not the case. Daniel showed that he could die and his identity was in God. So where, does, where do you distort your identity? Where do you need to grow for your faith to be challenged? And by the way, don't blame anybody if your faith isn't growing. Take personal responsibility today. The moment you do that, you begin to grow like leaps and bounds. Number three, what are things you believe that are not in Scripture? Maybe you don't know yet. This is something I want to be on your radar for the rest of this year, for the rest of life, but especially this year as we focus. What are the things you believe that are not in Scripture? Because these are the things that are going to be what I call the chink in your armor. The areas that the enemy is easily being able to pull you down. Number four, how are you going to live out your faith? in the outside world. How are you going to do it? Maybe you have examples right now. That's great. Double down on that. How are you going to live out your faith? A devoted life is a surrendered life. Let's surrender to him right now. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much that you are a good God, a graceful God, that you receive us when we've messed up so badly. Uh, You receive us Not as a father who says, how could you? I have my eye on you, but welcome home. Let me give you rest. So Father, I pray that you would uh, do a mighty work in our hearts right now. I pray specifically for that person or persons in the room right now that doesn't know you as Savior. Lord, I pray they would make it personal to you right now. In fact, if you're in this room, as we continue to pray, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, This is your moment. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Why do you need saved by Jesus? Here's the reason. The reason is this. It's because we are dead in our sins spiritually. We are separated from Almighty God. You were created to know him, but we're separated from him. This is why Jesus came. He came to be a remedy to our separation. He came to die on the cross, to stand in your place, to take your sin your sin debt, past, present, and future, and to pay it off in that moment. Because he's perfect, he could pay it off, and that's why he rose from the dead, defeating death and giving you life in return. Receive that right now. The Bible says, all those who cry in the name of the Lord will be saved. Just talk to him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive you. I place my faith in you alone. So Lord Jesus, I pray there be people in this room that do that today. In fact, if that's you today, if you're making this personal, you're placing your faith and trust in him right now, will you just do me a favor? Will you just look up at me right now? Give me eye contact. I, wanna, I just want to see what God's doing in this room this morning. If you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus right now, just you can go ahead, look up and give eye contact. I want to pray for you this week. Great. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Lord Jesus, thank you for those that are responding this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray for everybody in this room now that we would surrender our total selves to you. We wouldn't have a superficial faith, an inherited faith. We wouldn't try to prove ourselves to others or you by being super spiritual. God, we ask you to do the spiritual through us. And as a result, we're like, wow, God. So Lord, we pray that that would be our year. Wow. But help us give up that control and cede it to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. 
If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.